0: Welcome to the Kelly and the Encouragers podcast with your host, Kelly Sisson, wife, mother, therapist, and hippie at heart who loves Earl Grey iced tea, deep conversations, and encouraging others. If you need a little encouragement today, you are in the right place. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hey guys, I don't know about you, but this past mini session about. Postpartum care, pregnancy, mental health, parenting. It has really just been truly life changing. And I know that several of you have reached out and shared with me how it's truly impacted you to be able to hear other people's stories and their encouragement as you go through your own journey. So I'll be real with you. I had planned to do a reflection piece. That's what this episode was going to be a reflection of. Each and every episode, break it down, tell you my thoughts, feelings, etc. And while, yes, my thoughts and feelings are valid and important, I just can't help but feel that that's not what this episode needs to be. I don't know that I need to break down each and every episode, and I'm not even sure I could do it justice. If you haven't listened to those three episodes, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. And We had Annalise Lawton. Tina Jacobs, Brittany Shank, all sharing about their different journeys, talking about mental health, postpartum care, loss, pregnancy, fertility struggles, and maybe that's kind of the the difficulty I'm having, or kind of the problem, even is that it's such heavy topics, and it's so real that I want to be able to do them justice, and I'm just not sure I can at this moment. Truthfully, I think I know why. I think it's because I'm still not okay with my own pregnancy and postpartum journey. And I think that I need to talk about it, and that fact is scary. What's so interesting is that I want to talk about it. I want to be able to use my story to help others, to let them know they're not alone if they had traumatic births, difficulty afterwards, whatever it may be. But even this simple thought of sharing my story can almost bring me to tears. And so I guess if you're willing to hang along there with me, even through some tears, I'll share my story today and really say solidarity to the women who so bravely share their stories with us. So almost three years ago now, Ah, I can't believe he's almost three. So mind-blowing. It's almost three years ago. Three and a half, I guess it would be. I found out that I was pregnant. I was so excited. I wasn't someone who always knew that I wanted to be a mom. I always liked kids. I babysat so much when I was little. But it wasn't something that was always in the back of my mind. It wasn't something that I always thought I would strive for. It just more made sense just made sense that that would be the next step. Now, as I got older and got married to my wonderful husband, I knew that I wanted to have children. He absolutely did too. Anyone who knows my husband knows that hes <laughs> he's basically a grown-up child himself. He's so fun. And I don't say that in the sense of I have to take care of him. I don't. I don't. But he has such a love of life, really. He's just fun and hilarious and encouraging. And he'll (laughs) go along with the majority of crazy dreams that I might have. Actually, realistically, he goes along with all of them. And so, of course, I wanted to have children with him. I didn't necessarily tell a lot of people that we were going to try. It took a little bit longer than I would have liked. But realistically, it was okay. You know, it happened at a good time. And I felt great. I remember I had, for people who had terrible pregnancies, you're going to hate me here, and it's totally justifiable and I get it. (laughs) But I had two days of feeling really dizzy, which I contacted my doctor and took Dramamine for. That's what they recommended. Then I had several weeks when I felt fine. Then about a two-week time frame where I felt really, really sick. Now I never got sick. I just felt really nauseous. So I, after that, really, though, I mean, I was tired, the normal things, but my pregnancy was pretty easy. And again, if you didn't have an easy pregnancy, I get it. I do not blame you if you're angry with me about that. It was easy. Just a reality of the situation. And so going into the birth, I think I had kind of a misconstrued version of what it would be. I had prepared as much as you possibly can. I talked with friends and family. I would heard stories upon stories upon stories. I had read information. I'm a researcher by nature, not as in a job. (laughs) I research by nature. And so I, I researched so many different ways to keep yourself just really present in the moment and to be able to get through some of the pain. So I'll be real. I thought I had this. I thought I had this. I thought I would be able to go in there. You know, I have a pretty high pain tolerance, to be honest. So I was like, no big deal. I'm gonna be fine. Now, I will say that I thought I had the universe beat. This is probably going to crack you up, and I still feel really silly for thinking this, but sometimes when you're pregnant and you have all those hormones, you're not thinking 100% realistically. So everyone had always said that there's no reason to have a birth plan because things never go as planned. Okay? So if you had a birth plan, it was going to go exactly opposite of what you wanted. So I thought I would trick the universe, and I would not have a birth plan, and then everything would go exactly how I hoped. What a load of (laughs) crap. I don't know why I ever thought that. No one ever told me that. I think it was just my rationalization that wasn't super rational, to be honest. So when we went in, I had to be induced. And that was really hard for me. I was pretty much over um, the pregnancy, to be honest, at that point. It was just painful and uncomfortable. And, you know, I thought all the things that people do, oh, well, when I have the baby, things will get better. Not what happened. (laughs) But I decided that we would go ahead and set up the induction. Talked with my husband. He was agreeable to that as well. Not that it matters again, my body, but, you know, like to include my partner in those decisions. And so we moved forward with that. My water was broke. And I literally did not make any progress from then on out. I was in labor for 24 hours. I had Pitocin going all the time. Anyone who has had that nasty drug can likely tell you that the side effects of it are awful. It was turned up multiple times, hoping that my own body would kick in and have contractions itself. It did not. I started to have back labor. Now this is only my experience, and so please give me some grace as I talk about this. Because I may say things like, this is the worst pain ever. And that may not actually be accurate in the grand scheme of things. But this was my experience. So I was doing good. I really was. I was walking around. I was talking to my husband. We were able to work through some of the pain. And then the back labor hit. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I it wasn't even like I was crying loudly. I was literally silently sobbing in my zen, (laughs) trying to be in my safe place, trying to get through this. And it just got to the point where I didn't feel like I could. I just absolutely could not continue on. Strangely enough, I didn't know this could happen. So maybe it'll be helpful for you. I didn't realize that you could have contractions that never stop. So I had contractions constantly all the way around my back and around my belly and around my back and around my belly. And it was never ending. It was so bad that when they came in to get the epidural, they told me, well, tell us when you have a break in your contractions. And I just didn't. I had no break And so we kept sitting there, and it was probably five, ten minutes later, and I kept saying, they're just constantly going. And I remember my body shaking, and a nurse was in front of me, and my husband was beside me on one side, and a nurse on the other side. You have to stay still (laughs) during an epidural? And I remember thinking, there's no winning. Either I continue on with this terrible pain, or I get an epidural, which is going to be painful as well, especially since I can't sit still. Either way, I'm in pain. So I said, go ahead, just do it. I try to stay as still as I possibly could. Well, there was a student (laughs) who was trying to place the epidural. And I'm all about, I truly am, I'm all about educating. I'm all about giving students opportunities, um, whether it's in social work or the medical field or whatever it may be. So almost any time someone asks me if a student can do something, I will say yes. But I regret that decision of letting the student try then. It was four times later, so after four tries, and anyone who's had an epidural knows that it does not feel cozy, four missed attempts, four pokes that weren't necessary, while I'm shaking and sobbing, (laughs) quietly of course, but sobbing nonetheless, and wanting it to be done, and asking them, is it almost done? I just knew if I could hold out till then, I would get some relief. Finally, my husband essentially yelled at them and said, no more, you don't get any other opportunities. Let him do it, and pointed to the doctor. So they were able to get it placed on that last attempt. I was able to get some relief. They positioned me different ways as they do. No progress. They kept saying, oh, we'll come back in a little bit and check. Again, no progress. At this point, I started to get worried. I knew. I knew what was coming at that moment. About midnight, now keep in mind, we went in about 5.30 in the morning, so about midnight, the nurse asked me, have you ever thought about a C-section? I said, no, I don't want a C-section. And she said, well, it's just something to think about if you don't make any progress. So that next morning, my doctor comes in, still no progress, tells me that I have an odd-shaped pelvis. Not sure how he figured that out since he hadn't done an exam, but I had an odd-shaped pelvis, and I was never going to be able to give birth to my son. So I knew in that moment I had no option. I had to have a C-section. So I did what any mother or father does. I guess I should say for the most part. (laughs) And I moved forward with something I didn't want. I just wanted my child there safely. I just wanted him there. And if that meant that I was going to have to have surgery, my worst case scenario, my absolute fear, then I guess that's what it was going to be. So at about six o'clock was when the doctor came in. Just a side note. He was completely wrong with his odd shaped pelvis thing. He never even checked, but that's beside the point. Just a little side note for you. (laughs) So at about eight o'clock, they started getting me ready to have a C-section. I had to leave my husband. Quite honestly, that may have been one of the hardest moments of my life. I mentioned earlier that my husband is amazing. He's hilarious. He's loving. He's kind. He's one hell of a time. <laughs> but he's also my safe place. I feel safest when I'm with him. And so knowing he couldn't come with me was... Absolutely devastating. There have been other times in life when I've gone through things. I had a thyroid biopsy of about three different times now. And the time that he was able to be in there with me and hold my hand, I was the calmest I've ever been during any of that. And so to know that I had to leave him not knowing what would happen throughout the C-section was hard. Hard's not even enough of a word. I remember giving him a kiss, saying I love you, and I just stared at him as they wheeled me away. He told me later that it was really scary for him to see me taken away. One time I asked him, did you think I was going to die? And he said, no, no, I didn't think you were going to die, but I was really concerned. I was worried about you. So after some time, they got me ready for the C-section down in the operating room and nothing was happening. And I could hear them whispering about. I had no idea what was going on. And it was quite scary, to be honest. Eventually, they let my husband come in. And he told me that they were trying to find the doctor. (laughs) Oh, I wish I was kidding. They were trying to find the doctor. He had disappeared. Was not there. Well, the surgeon won't start the C-section unless the doctor's there to care for the baby afterwards. And it makes sense. It absolutely makes so much sense. What if something's wrong with the baby and it needs attention? Well, she can't let me bleed out and try to save the baby at the same time. So it makes sense that you would need two doctors. But I'm not sure in that moment that I realized that the doctor actually was not there at all. (laughs) Like they could not find him. They found a random doctor... I mean, she worked there, but a random doctor who was, I believe, eight months pregnant herself, um, which is neither here nor there, but just an interesting fact, to come into into the surgery room so that she would be able to take care of my son when he was born. Now, at this point, I had so much medication, I couldn't even probably have told you my name, to be honest with you. I was so drugged up. And they actually make you numb all the way up to th- to your lungs is how they explain it to me. So they ask you all these questions and they get all this figured out. And the anesthesiologists, they were absolutely fantastic. Um, they kept me calm and they talked with me until my husband got in there. And then, let's see, it wasn't very long once they finally got going. The surgeon had asked us if she could time herself <laughs> while she did the C-section. And although that sounds really weird, apparently she was from a trauma center, and she kind of thrived on that really trauma-based care. And while my C-section was needed, it was not an emergency C-section. And so we said, sure, we don't care. You can go ahead and time it (laughs) as long as you do what you need to do. doesn't matter to us. And so she took care of everything, and my son was born. And I literally remember looking at him and looking at my husband and saying to my husband, Wow, this is really surreal. That's the only thing I could say, being as drugged up as I was. They let me see my son for just a few seconds, then they whisked him away. And I told my husband to go with him. I did not want him to be alone. I was scared if something happened that he would not have one of us. So my husband stayed with him. It took, now I know this, I didn't in the moment, but it took almost two hours in recovery to get me back up to my room. I remember wheeling around the corner, seeing my husband so proudly holding our son. That memory is really etched in my mind forever. At that point, Eli was able to lay on my chest. I was able to really see him. No, I was pretty numb still everywhere, still pretty out of it, and a good amount of pain. But I was so happy that we had made it. It wasn't until later that I realized how deeply that really impacted me. I truly felt like I had let him down. Even more so, I let myself down. This wasn't how I imagined things would go. This wasn't the story that I wanted. One of the things that took me the longest to get over is, and even to this day, if you ask me how long Eli was or how much he weighed or what time he was born, I have no idea. I really, truly have no idea. I mean, I have a guess. I guess I shouldn't say I have no idea. I have a guess. And I always have to ask my husband if it's right. Because at that point in life, I, or at that point in time, I was not in a good place. I was so heavily drugged. But I held myself accountable for that. And I thought to myself, how can you be a good mom if you can't remember how much your son weighed? Or what time he was born? Or how long he is? Or whatever details of that day. (coughs) Excuse me. But what I've learned now is, that's absolute rubbish. I'm not good with numbers anyway. So yes, I was drugged up. Yes, I was in pain. I fairly likely wouldn't remember anyway, and if that makes me a bad mom, you can keep on judging, because I know that it doesn't. The recovery of a C-section, though, after being in labor for 24 hours, was pretty challenging. I have a dear friend who so openly and honestly shared about her C-section recovery experience, and I'm so grateful for her that she gave me some good recommendations as far as moving more than I wanted to and even simple things about how to, you know, recover your body, essentially let your body recover. And I really appreciated that having that support. I'm not sure when or why or how or what I got the message that because I had a C-section, it was my fault or because I had a C-section, it wasn't a quote natural birth or because I had a C-section I let everyone down. No, no, that was just a part of our story. And I know that now. But I really struggled with that for so long. I didn't know it in the moment, but for quite a while afterwards, I was dealing with some really intense anxiety. Isn't that funny? A therapist, not dealing with anxiety, lots of therapists deal with anxiety and their own mental health concerns. But it's always so interesting because clients will think, well, surely... Surely you would be able to identify this with yourself, or surely you don't struggle. Yeah, we do. We absolutely do. And sometimes we aren't able to acknowledge what it is that's going on with us either. But because of this story, because of my dealing with postpartum anxiety, because of the fact that I didn't really feel like many people, professionally-wise, um asked at doctor's appointments or cared about what was going on with me. It became my passion. It became my passion to help mothers to know that they are good moms. They haven't failed their child, regardless of how they are brought into this, this world, regardless of how much time they do or do not want to spend with their child, regardless of the parenting decisions they make, regardless of all of that, they're good moms. I often tell people, if you're wondering if you're a good mom, you are. You absolutely are. Because if you're not wondering about it, if you're not thinking, am I doing what I need to or, you know, how am I doing at parenting, then that can be cause for concern. So know that if you're worrying about that, you are a good mom or a good dad or a good aunt or uncle, whatever that may be for you, whatever that looks like. It's just hard in that moment sometimes. And that's why I wanted to bring these three ladies to you. And I want to be able to share my story. Because I think postpartum mental health care matters. I think that supporting people when they're dealing with loss and infertility, it matters. I think being able to help parents to know that when they're doubting themselves, that they are enough. That matters. It's a good goal to have. It's a good it's a good focus that we need in this society to help parents know that what they're doing is okay. What they're doing is more than okay. Unless you're abusing your child, I feel like I need to do a little social work disclaimer there <laughs> unless you're abusing your child, and then that's not okay. So that's why I wanted to bring this particular mini series to you. There's so much more to my story that was just a quick snap snapshot really of it, and I'll be sharing more and more sometimes on the podcast sometimes in the newsletters. But just know that I realize that I'm asking people to be open and vulnerable with their lives, and I want to be open and vulnerable with my own as well. Because these three women, they're brave. They're making an impact on the world. And so are you, listener. Remind yourself that you are brave, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of your past, your future, whatever it may be. You're brave in this moment. Now I'm going to switch gears a little bit. It's going to feel like we went from one extreme to the next. <laughs> I'm just going to be real with you. Um, but it feels like this is where this episode needs to go. I will admit that as a mom, I'm not always the best at self-care. I often want to do things and reach goals and all sorts of things, but I just don't want it to impact my family at all. Which is kind of mind blowing when you think of it, but I wanted to attend an event with Rachel Hollis in Fargo. If you don't know Rachel Hollis, I talk about her from time to time. I like the majority of her work um she is a writer um she has a blog she um has several books out <laughs> she's a motivational um speaker she has just all sorts of things. I can't even summarize everything she does. If you want to Google her, you'll get it that way. But I wanted to attend her training. You know, some of the things that were really caught my eye in the first few moments um, was that, you know, she's really engaging. So her personality is big for being in such a little body. She is a tiny little person and she has like a big personality. So she was able to draw you in pretty quickly. You know, one thing that I really noticed that she talked about is she talked about how another event had wanted her to talk about empowerment um, and how she could provide empowerment for other women. And she explained that empowerment, being empowered, isn't isn't really a thing because you have that power in yourself. And so I really loved that perspective that she gave. The number one thing that hit me that I've talked about three or four different times since then is that she talked about when we don't want to inconvenience others. So like I said earlier, I like to dream big. Really, there is no limit to my dreams. I'll be honest with you. I am always thinking about new things to be able to try, new things to be able to do. Um, I have all sorts of goals that I want to accomplish. But I want to do all of those without impacting or affecting anyone else. And so I don't like to inconvenience others with my goals. And essentially what she is saying is when you don't want to inconvenience others with your goals or with whatever it may be that you're trying to achieve, you're really saying you don't want to inconvenience others by who you are as a person. Now let that sink in because it took a bit for it to sink into me. When you are not wanting to inconvenience others by the things that you do, you really don't want to inconvenience them by who you are as a person. Yeah, that's deep, huh? (laughs) I know, it hit me. And I realized that that's exactly what I do. I have all of these goals, I have all of these dreams, these desires, wanting to help as many people as I can. But I don't want to inconvenience anyone in my personal life. I don't want my husband to have to, you know, pick up a little bit of the slack, or I don't want my son to not have me at home with him when. I need to or I feel like I need to be home or I feel like he needs me to be home. I don't want my husband to have to take care of the dogs by himself. I mean, a lot of it goes back to my family um for me. And I want to be really clear. My husband has never ever said to me you can't chase your dreams. If anything, he is rooting for me. He knows that I am all in when I go for something and he is right there with me. But my perception of it is is that I need to do all of this without com- inconveniencing him or my son or hell, even the dogs. (laughs) Like, why is that? And so that's been something I've really been mulling over. Um, But that was extremely impactful for me, just to be completely honest, because I I hadn't really thought about the fact that I just don't want to inconvenience people with who I am as a person. You know, that night, it was kind of funny. And um, after I went with two dear friends, and afterwards, we went out to eat. And they wanted to go to sushi, um, which I really enjoy sushi. But the problem is, is that the gluten-free life uh, chose me. I did not choose it. And so um, I can't have gluten. And I went there. They asked me like probably 20 times, guys, seriously. So they were not pushing me into it. They said, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Well, I had been there before. There was a menu, a different menu before. I thought, well, I'll just get some chicken. It will be fine. (laughs) So we get there. There's literally barely anything I can eat so much so that I had to have a vegetable roll and dry salad. Um, I did get to have the miso soup though. That was really good because theirs is actually gluten-free, but, um, Honestly, my my friends felt really terrible. And I kept saying to them, like, no, it's really okay. And it absolutely was okay. I was there for the conversation, not the food. So I don't care about that portion of things. But what was really interesting is I got to thinking later, like, that's another example of me not wanting to inconvenience people by being who I am. Because I know that there may be places I can't go when I'm gluten-free. For the most part, I can make almost anywhere work. And again, I was fine. I really was fine. But they felt terrible and I could have saved all of us from that if I would have just said from the get-go, well, I don't know, maybe we should try somewhere else. I know you guys really want to go there, but maybe we should try somewhere else because I'm not sure what I would be able to eat there. It's just one little example of how I often, I'm just so go with the flow. I don't always even view it as me not wanting to inconvenience people because it's so, so ingrained with who I am as a person. And so it's something I really need to be more aware of. So I was super um, thankful to have gone to the Rachel House event. event. Um, there was one thing, though, that she said that I actually didn't agree with. And you may have heard me earlier when I said I like most of her work. I almost never say I like everybody or all of anyone's work because we all have things that, you know, maybe some points that really, really resonate with us and maybe some points that really don't. And so um, it's very rare that I will say, you know, I like everything that somebody does just because we're all human and we have different views. But one thing she said is she was talking about how if she's really tired, she just kind of, for her children's benefit, she just kind of continues on and she's really upbeat and really fun and doesn't let them see that portion of her because they don't deserve to see that portion of her. And although I can understand not wanting to always bring your children down. It's absolutely okay for your children to know that you're having a tough day or that you're really struggling with your emotions and here's how you're going to work through them. Not that they have to know every detail, but you don't have to put on a mask in front of your children. If one day you're going to give your kids cereal because you don't feel well, I think it's absolutely okay to tell them that. So maybe that day you're not the best version of yourself for them. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be tomorrow. And I just don't think we need to put masks on or beat ourselves up about how we have to interact in those moments because it's okay. So that was really great to be able to um, attend that. One more thing that I would mention to is when we were there, there was a thing called Women Connect. And it's part of the Chamber of Commerce in um, Fargo, North Dakota, Fargo-Moorhead area. And what they do essentially is they bring women together and they have women presenters um, about topics that are just really important and valued to women as a whole. And I love that perspective of bringing women to speak to women because I think that that's extremely impactful um, to be able to know – really to be able to know where someone is coming from, not that you'll have the exact same experience as them, but to really be able to have some concrete knowledge about situations or thoughts or whatever. So I would encourage you if there is a chamber of commerce um, around you, wherever you may live, look and see if there is a women's section of it. And if not, that may be something that's kind of cool to start. They also had some other really great things. Um, There was something called a push group that was essentially like, I think it's four to eight women that get together to support others. And that sounds like something that would be really great in any community. I'm sure you would be able to Google and figure out more about that. But those are just some additional little um, side notes that I noticed from there. So one more thing that I wanted to mention, um, again, shifting gears a little bit, is I thought it might be kind of fun to share with you guys some of the most influential books that I've read. I let's see, let's back up. We're going to take a little trip down memory lane. But um, when I was in grade school, I really, I, I could read, but I wasn't really that great at it. I'll just be real. I was really not that great at it. And there were even times that I was behind in my reading. What I learned about myself now is that I have literally no reading retention. So I can read an entire book, yes, but I'm not going to remember that at all. And is that really beneficial for me? So in discovering what is some of the best ways that I can learn, I have learned that I'm very much an auditory learner. But think about my job that I do. I'm a therapist. So I'm with people who are telling me their life stories. So it's it's such a benefit now, but I didn't realize that in the moment. So once I figured out I'm an auditory learner, I found audiobooks. My sister had said, "Hey, have you ever tried an audiobook?" I thought, "Oh no, I don't want books on tape, you know." <laughs> so, um, but she said, "No, I'll give it a try." So when I was home with my son and I was struggling so much, I listened to a book by Shonda Rhimes called The Year of Yes, How to Dance It Out, Stand in the Sun, and Be Your Own Person. So you may know Shonda Rhimes. She is a creator of Grey's Anatomy and so many other shows. I'll be real with you. I don't watch a lot of TV. I've seen maybe one episode of Grey's Anatomy. I know I don't send me any hate mail, but <laughs> I just really don't get too into shows. I know there's a lot of people that love Grey's, but I what I really liked about Shonda's book is one, her writing is just so eloquent and so entertaining and engaging. So that was one portion of it. But I loved that she decided that she was going to have this whole entire year where she said yes to the scary things that she had always said no to before and so what that looked like for her was saying yes to events that she may not have it was saying yes to her children her children when um they wanted her to play with her with them it was accepting compliments that she had never accepted before it was saying yes to taking care of her her health because she knew that that would make her feel better i mean those little nuggets of wisdom essentially that she shared being able to say yes to scary things, being able to take compliments, playing with her kids because seriously, in 15 minutes, your child's not going to want to play with you anyway, helped me to be able to say yes to scary things and truly impacted my life in such a meaningful way that the whole outcome of even my business has changed because of her perspective of wanting to say yes instead of saying no. And so that is my goal now is to say yes to the scary things. Does that mean I'm going to say yes to everything that comes across, you know, my lap? No, absolutely not. (laughs) That would just be insane. But I think it's important to be able to not shy away from things that are out of our comfort zones because what I have learned and what I'm sure you know too is that the more that you step out of your comfort zone, the bigger your comfort zone gets and the more you can step out again and again and again. It's amazing where you can go from there. So another thing I thought I would share is that there's a podcast called Lead, Lead Stories Podcast that I absolutely love. Um, it is led by Pastor Steph and Joe Saxton, and they really talk a lot about leadership and breaking the barriers and really just being your own self and how you do that and how you can get coaching in the meantime if you um, need some additional support from people. Um, what I will say is they do discuss God, but here's what I would challenge you. Even if you don't believe in God, you do not have to by any means. You can believe in whatever you want to believe in. But if you believe in the universe, if you believe in nothing, if you believe in energy, uh, positive vibes, whatever that may be, you can always interject that into this podcast or whatever else you may listen to. So I would encourage you not to completely shut somebody off just because they don't have the same beliefs as you, because maybe some of their message is still really valid. Most likely it's really valid. And you're shutting yourself off to some really good knowledge just based on that one small piece. So if you need to hear it, like I say, instead of hearing God, hear positive vibes or hear universe or spirit or whatever that may be for you, then that's okay too. So having said all of that, we have just been all over the place for this podcast episode, but I hope that it was helpful for you to be able to just reflect real, you know, real quickly on the amazing women that shared their story to be able to hear a little bit of my own story and to be able to start talking about some things that truly made huge impacts in my life. Not that you have to like them, that's okay if you don't. But sometimes it's good just to hear about other things. That's all until next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Kelly and the Encouragers podcast. For all things related to this episode, please go to wwwkellysissoncom backslash podcast, where you can find transcript from today's show and links for today's guest. A special thank you to our producer, Joe Burkett, and our assistant, Carrie, who both helped to make this podcast possible. See you next week for another episode.